0: Lord God in heaven, would you reveal yourself to us this day? Would you transform our hearts? Do the things that are beyond our making and beyond our capability. Take the feeble love we have for you and increase it tenfold. Holy Spirit, you are mighty and this is the kind of work that you do. So we pray this as a grace over our time. In the name of Jesus, do we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Through the blessings and the woes from last week's passage, we saw two opposing kingdoms. We saw the kingdom of God, and we saw the kingdom of the world. Two very different ways of being in the world. What Jesus calls blessed, the world disregards. What the world admires and exalts, Jesus tends to warn us against. So our passage today, which is Luke 6, you just heard, follows right on the heels of the blessings and woes from last week. So it's a continuation of that same sermon. That's how you need to hear it. Jesus has already meddled in Christian ethics, beautifully so, and has already begun to lay out the law of the new covenant and how the spiritual economy of the kingdom of God works. He's going to build upon that today and describe even further what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And in our passage today, he offers to us that single tie that binds everything together, which is Christian charity, which is love. That's the defining characteristic of kingdom people, the most radical love imaginable. In fact, it's probably not even imaginable to our human minds fully. And his call to us is to love as we've been loved by God, not to love as we've been loved or mistreated by others. So Luke 6, 27 through 38 As we wade into this passage, I want you to consider the crowd here that Jesus is speaking to and how they hear what he's saying. Okay, There's bound to be people of all socioeconomic statuses here. Okay, So some of the people are probably people of means. Probably not many, but a few, I would say. So how do you feel as you listen to Jesus, knowing that you possess much? How do you hear that? Now, most in the crowd are probably deemed poor, Okay. How do you feel if you're of little means, one of the little people who's perhaps been victimized exactly as Jesus describes? How do you feel as you hear him preach this? Now, all of them are living under Roman rule, which is an unjust rule, is oppressive. How do you feel as Jesus calls you to lay your life down, even under an unjust regime? So put yourself in their sandals as much as you can. What's the call for you in that? Okay, That's what I want you to ask. Now, before launching into this part of Jesus' sermon, he says this little phrase, which I don't want us to miss. But I say to you who hear, but I say to you who hear, to hear often carries with it a sense of deep listening. It's not just about hearing the words. Yeah, 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 Jesus, I I got that. Um, To hear means to listen and then to follow through. In other words, to listen and to obey. Okay, So what Jesus is about to say Isn't just for our contemplation, just to kind of oh think on that a little bit. It's meant to be action oriented. It's meant for spiritual ingestion. But I say to you who hear, and he says that famous line from verse twenty-seven: "Love your enemies. Love your enemies." It's interesting. In Matthew's account, which is parallel to this passage, he speaks of how people previously were called to love their enemies, but they were kind of allowed to hate their hate their excuse me love their neighbor, but they're kind of allowed to hate their enemies. Right, But Jesus goes far beyond that. He takes a wrecking ball to this. But I say to you who hear, love your enemy. Now, there's a lot of words in Greek for love or affection. You probably know some of these. Uh, Jesus was not asking for storge here, which is like a natural affection, natural affinity you might have for someone. He wasn't beckoning us to eros, which is romantic love, nor did he hold up philia, the love of friendship, as the example he speaks of. And this is a word you know, agape love all throughout this passage, agape love. And agape love means love even of the unlovely. Agape love is not merit-based at all. you got to hear that loud and clear. Agape love is the law of the new covenant. This is a law that lays down its own rights even, and even its right to be right. We know that in marriage, don't we? How often do we want to be right? And rights are something that I find is a particular area of concern for us as Americans. We love our rights. We love our rights. What does it mean to lay those down on behalf of someone else? Agape Love says it's not enough to refrain from hostile acts. Jesus says that. We're actually to do good to those who hate us. So, to people living in Roman occupied territory, these words probably sounded pretty odd, might have been a little hard to swallow. Wait, Jesus, even the Romans? We must love them? Yep, even them. Agape love obliterates those categories of us us and them. Absolutely. But shouldn't the Romans be opposed? Shouldn't they be hated? Shouldn't they be hurt? No. Jesus' teaching is so radical here and must have sounded a little bit crazy to some. Very countercultural. Jesus is saying not only do you refrain from hostility, you're actually to seek ways to bless and to do good to your enemies actively actively. Now, why don't you imagine for a moment how different the political climate would be in our nation if agape love was the practice. Man, oh man, agape love obliterates those categories of us and them. It doesn't allow us to think in that way. Jesus won't let us get away with that. Notice this agape love, which Jesus describes, if you listen to that passage carefully in Luke. Uh, it's a ministry of acts and words, isn't it? In other words, it's a ministry of word and and deed. Though people curse you, the call is to return them with blessing, not retribution. It's the opposite of what the crowd probably expected. I mean, when you're wronged, do the kingdom of the world seeks justice or revenge? In response to abuse, you don't retaliate, but instead you pray for them. So in this passage, the love of God calls us to bless people with our words and our actions. Lip service is not enough and neither acts of duty. They've got to both go together. Here's some example of agape love in word and deed. And this is, we're going to look at verse 28, 29, and 30 just straight ahead here. Uh, verse 28, for those that mistreat you, pray for them. That's a ministry of word, isn't it? Think of the Lord praying for those who crucified him. Think of Stephen in Acts 7 praying for the people who were stoning him. Okay? Verse 29, acts of physical violence. And I need to make a little comment here. We aren't called to stay in positions of abuse. Okay, that needs to be made really clear. Staying in abuse is not sanctioned here. as Some have misused it. The point here is that when we encounter violence, we don't respond in kind. Okay, we don't beget violence with violence. Okay, verse 30 talks about giving. This is a ministry of deeds, isn't it? Giving. And Incidentally, the verb here, to give, is used in a continuous sense. So Jesus, what he's talking about here is the habitual attitude of generosity, not just like that uh, generous impulse you feel now and again that kind of comes and goes. He's saying be in the habit of giving to those in need. So those are some examples of agape love in word and deed. I want to make the case that this radical agape love is directly tied to grace, directly tied to grace, which is radical which is gratuitous, which is free, and which is tremendously extravagant. It goes well and above and beyond how the kingdom of the world loves, a higher standard of duty. To whom? Well, the world might love its neighbors, maybe, but we're called to do what? Love our enemies. It goes way above and beyond. And the manner of our love is to be consistent with the grace of God. We're called, as one author says, J.C. Ryle, to give up much, endure much, for the sake of showing kindness and avoiding strife, to forego even our rights and submit to wrong. In this <clears throat> excuse me, in this, we are to be like the master, long-suffering, meek and lowly of heart. Thank you, J.C. How does the master love us? Well, that's to be our measure for how we love others, even our enemies, to love God as we have been loved. For we were once enemies of the Lord too, as the scriptures tell us in Romans 5.10. So the grace that we receive, we share. We don't hoard it. We don't keep it to ourselves. True grace is shared in the form of love. To make that point clear, Jesus speaks of the so-called golden rule. That's in verse 31. This is a hinge verse. It's a watershed verse, and here's what he says. As you wish that men should do to you, do so to them. You've heard that before. Very familiar. The great rabbi Hillel said something really similar. He was somewhat of a contemporary with Jesus in and around his time. What's hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. That is the whole Torah, and the rest is commentary. Now, one thing you need to know, there were similar maxims elsewhere in the ancient world, different versions of the golden rule, more along the lines of you sort of act in such a way that you'll get treated analogously. So most other examples of the golden rule counted on this Reciprocal behavior, quid, pro, quo. Treat someone such and such a way so that, guess what? They'll return the favor to you. But none of the various versions of the golden rule go as far as Jesus' does. Love others, period, without thought to reward from them. Very radical. No strings attached, just like grace. Free gift. It's not enough for Jesus that his disciples abstain from Acts they would not like done to them, that's not enough. They must be active in their well-doing, active in blessing their enemies. Go out of your way to love, even those who hate you. Bless them extravagantly, in fact. And we're gonna skip through verses 32 to 34, because frankly, I think they're rather self-evident in their description. We're gonna skip down to verses 35 and 36, because this is a summation of sorts of all that Jesus has said prior. Love your enemies, do good, lend freely. Three easy bullet points. Love your enemies, do good, lend, or give freely. Jesus tells us your reward will be great, but he never urges people to serve for the sake of the reward. That is very countercultural. If what I do for you is merely intended to get you to give something back to me, that's not agape love, right? You can make a case that's just self-interest. That's just manipulation. I'm just trying to get you to do what I want you to do, right? Right? That's a worldly golden rule at work. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus tells us our reward comes from a different place. Does our reward come from people reciprocating our good acts? Based off this passage, what do you think? Does it? No. No, our reward comes instead from God himself. Heavenly blessings, certainly if our enemies come to faith via our acts of charity and love towards them. He goes on to say later on in 35 and 36, these things demonstrate that we'll be called sons of God or children of God. In other words, a citizen in the kingdom of God. Now, a child shares in the nature of their parents, right? He or she came from them after all. So shares their DNA, shares their likeness. So we're called to share God's grace to the ungrateful and even to those who are evil. We're called to be merciful as our heavenly father is merciful. The family resemblance we share with God is to be grace, mercy, agape love, all of which we don't deserve based on our own merits, but all of which God gives us freely and extravagantly. So let this grace, let this mercy, let this agape love, let that be your new measure. And I really think that's the point of verse 37. Okay, let grace be your new measure. When your measure is judgment, you ever met someone like this? When your measure is judgment, judgment, when they're in the habit of judging others, when they have kind of a hard heart, when they're hard on people, it says, this passage tells us, you're inviting the judgment of God against yourself. Careful, (laughs) careful. But if you know you're forgiven, if you know this, you're more likely to extend that same forgiveness to others, right? God's grace changes us. A forgiving person is evidence that that person has been forgiven. So, Jesus is beckoning us to a new measure here, one that is not of our own making, underscore, underscore, uh, underline, bold, italics, okay? This is a new measure. It is not of our own making. Love, grace, and mercy, all of them very radical. God will not let us get away from these in this passage, will he? He just won't. And he gives us a picture of it, which is the last verse we're getting to here. Verse 38, because this might be a little confusing when you read it. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The metaphor here is from measuring out grain in such a way that you get the full or the correct amount. Your lap refers to this fold you might have in the outer garment, and use it kind of like a pocket. So you kind of hold the grain in there, uh, if that kind of makes sense. And did you catch that one phrase, running over? I love that because that is a picture of abundance here. You'll have more than you need, more than is fair. Well, hello again, grace. And the source of that grace and the reward that comes from it is God himself. Okay, 38 reiterates 37. Grace is our new measure. So when I look at this passage, I have questions, (laughs) many, but I'll give you a few of them. Are there limits to Christian love to others? My answer is, what is the nature of God's grace over us? What is the nature of God's grace? Is it bound by conditions? Does God say, I will love you if? I'll love you if. Or is it a free gift? I love you, period. Think of the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son. To what lengths does that father go to show his love? Good gracious, he sacrifices his resources, his dignity, his namesake in order to show love. I'd make the case to both sons, not just one. Or think of Jesus's words to his accusers on the cross. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This is loving people who have spit in our faces. Agape love, grace knows no bounds. There are no limits to Christian love because the nature of grace is boundless and far beyond our means." I've made this uh, statement before, and I'll say it again because I believe it is really true. The extent to which you grasp the grace and love of God in your life, that is directly proportional to how you love others, especially your enemies. I'm going to say that again. The extent to which you grasp the grace and love of God is directly proportional to how you love others, especially your enemies. If the grace of God hasn't captured your heart, and let me tell you this, I think you know it, If that's happened to you, I think you know it. If the grace of God hasn't captured your heart, it's unlikely that you'll love others well. It just is. Better said, you will love them out of your own strength rather than out of the gratitude of the grace that you've received. Now, gratitude, I find, is key. I cannot stress that enough. Gratitude for grace is key. But is that gratitude enough? I'll say this. It is the essential starting point. We must have it, okay? That gratitude for grace is huge. But we also need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to love people in this way, don't we? We absolutely need this. In other words, you can't do this in your own strength and willpower. If you go out and and make it your mission, like, I'm gonna love my enemies, you're gonna fall flat five minutes in, trust me. I've tried it, it's true, okay? It is. That's loving people as the world does at our own strength and without grace to aid us. That's a quid pro quo. That's just sort of an equal exchange of relational goods and services, okay? We need the Holy Spirit to come to our aid desperately. So we definitely need a heart of gratitude. It's got to start there, one that is defined by the wonders of grace. And we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to equip us further. So loving our enemies does not come naturally. It is a work of God in our hearts, okay? So please don't go out on that mission, loving your enemies or those difficult people in your life, without asking God to renew his sense of gratitude in your heart and for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, okay? Okay, let's start to wrap up here. So recap. Here's how, the kingdom, here's how kingdom people live. You love your enemies by doing good to them and giving good gifts or lending freely, per verse 35. With Jesus' revised golden rule as the centerpiece of them all, per verse 31, love others without regard to the reward you receive. The single tie that binds us all together is agape love. Okay? That's the defining characteristic of kingdom people. It's radical. And his call to us, again, is to love people as we've been loved by him, not to love as we've been loved or mistreated okay, by others. Now, I don't know about you guys, um, and maybe I've missed something terribly. Possible, right? The, but the textual meaning here, this scriptural passage to me seems pretty clear. It doesn't seem difficult to uh, suss this out. It's the living it out. (laughs) It's the practicing our faith that's difficult. The exegesis of this passage is pretty simple and straightforward, but the practice of it is where the real challenge lies. But think of our testimony to the world if we loved like Jesus is describing here. You know how powerful that would be? So powerful. So let's conclude here. I have three questions. One, do you have enemies? Some of you are going to reel and think, I don't know that I have enemies. Uh, Let me put it another way. Have you ever been victimized? Have you been victimized before? Or if you can't find yourself in that one, what about the difficult, really difficult people in your life, the ones that are just like that constant burr on your saddle, you know what I mean? What does it mean to seek to bless them and to serve them? Not just tolerate them, not just restrain yourself from strangling them because they're driving you crazy, not that, but to love them as God has loved you. How can you go out of your way to show them the extravagant love of God in word and deed, okay? So that's the first question. Enemies, have you been victimized? Difficult people. How can you seek to actively bless them, okay? That's one. Two. The people owe you. The people owe you. Anybody indebted to you? Now, you might be tempted to think of this financially, and it might be that. That's okay. But there are also emotional debts, aren't there? There's things. Sometimes it feels very good to be in power over someone else. This passage calls us to lay that down. So are there people who owe you and who are indebted to you in some way, financially or otherwise? What would it look like to forgive those debts and to let go of the past, to forgive? Maybe in some cases, to forego your rights in the name of love. What would that look like? So, two, do you do people owe you? Are people indebted to you? And three, and really this might be the most important one because I think everything flows from it. Have you, and I'm gonna underscore this word, experienced the grace of God? I am not talking about intellectually do you understand grace. I'm not talking about cerebrally can you sit there and articulate a doctrine of grace for me because there are many people that can do that and they have not experienced the grace of God. I'm saying, do you know the absolute wonders of forgiveness and unconditional love in your heart? Do you know it here? Has, it tra- has the transit been made from here to here, right? Has it gone down that 12 inches or whatever it is? Have you experienced the grace of God, experienced it, the absolute wonders of forgiveness and unconditional love? That's three. Grace is so radical, friends, and that's our way of being in the world. That's our call to love. Grace leads us directly to shared love, and we're called to love as we have been loved by God. Let's pray.